Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the final week of our series, Cold Heart Cash. Chief of Staff, Larry Fincher, challenges us to follow biblical financial principles no matter what phase of life we are in. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. We're finishing up the series this morning on Cold Heart Cash. And... uh, I really like the way this has worked out because Dom kicked it off and did an excellent job of looking at finances from his perspective. And then uh, Mitchell followed up with looking at finances from his perspective, from that stage of life. And so I get to sort of end up the series this morning. And we've got a verse that we've tied the whole series too. And that verse is in Matthew 6.21. And it says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, there's a cause and effect in that verse. It says that wherever we invest our time and our effort, and particularly our finances, that's where the heart, our heart, is going to follow. So if you summarize that, what that verse essentially is saying is your heart follows your finances. Now, Dom made a statement a little more eloquently on the front end, but this is what it's saying. Your heart follows your finances. Now, notice the cause and effect. The cause is where you invest your finances. What's the effect? That's where your heart's going to follow Now, that is in reverse of what we hear today typically. Typically, what we hear today is follow your heart. But I think a number of years ago, Jeremiah made the statement that the heart is deceitful above all things who can trust it. So, we have to look at where we put our finances, there's our, that's where our heart's going to follow. Now, I wanted to take a second verse and sort of connect it in here. And that verse is found in Luke chapter 16. And if you go back and read through Luke 16, it has a lot to say about finances and money. And uh, Dom and Mitchell both have made the statement that the Bible has a lot to say about finances. In fact, There's only one other word in the Bible that's used more than finances or money, and that's love. And if you look at the parables, about two-thirds of the parables have to do with finances. And then in Matthew, it says, If we are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So it's talking about, again, the spiritual connection with our finances. If you look at, uh, actually, finances end up being a measure of your spiritual state. It says if if we're not faithful in what God has given us in the way of wealth, then why should he give us the more important things, the more important spiritual things? So, with that in mind, let me just sort of ease into my part of it. 
Uh, I really like the way, you know, you've, you've got a really creative staff. Now, that leaves me out. The other guys are creative. But what they decided to do was, uh, if we're going to do three uh, lessons on finances, it would be really good to take the first phase of life, more or less, and let Dom talk about, you know, early singleness and then early marriage, and then move on and let Mitchell talk with us a little bit about, uh, you know, family and sort of in the throes of child rearing and bringing kids up, and then let me finish it up. Now, I did notice that Dom referred to my segment as the done segment. And then Mitchell referred to my segment as the end segment. <laughs> so, I'm going to talk with you about the end game. And give you my perspective. You know, a benefit of being at this stage of life is I can tell you a whole lot of things that won't work. Because... I've been exposed to them. I've had the experience. I read a uh, quote from uh, Thomas Edison this week and said, I didn't fail. I just learned 10,000 things that don't work. So for you in stage one and stage two, uh, I can tell you a lot of things that won't work because I tried them. But hopefully this morning I can tell you a few things that will work. And see, that's another benefit of being at this stage of life. There was a song that uh, about two, three weeks ago used in closing, and uh, Daniel, I appreciate you using that song, and it's called Over All I Know. And there's a phrase in that song that says, I believe it, I have seen it, my God is over all. And so, you know, when you learn something, uh, <clears throat> someone tells you, you know, you can learn, you can believe it, but until you really experience it, then you're not going to have the full impact of it. And so I want to talk with you about, I believe it, I've seen it, and God's overall. Now, just a word, Dom, you and Mitchell, uh, I would like to tell you at this stage of life that you're going to have fewer line items in your budget and the relationships are going to get less complicated, but if I did, I'd be lying to you. You see, Lorenda and I have 10 kids and 19 grandkids, so you can imagine what the line items for Christmas look like. I mean, there's 29 gifts before we ever get outside the immediate family. And I said, 10 kids, and you say, I thought y'all had five kids. Well, we do. We have five kids, but they went off and brought five more in. Now, one thing I've learned in parenting is the wild card in parenting is who your child marries. Now, I'm not being derogatory against in-laws. I'm just saying they're different. They grew up with a different culture, a different home. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, I mean, they do weird things like they want to open their gifts on Christmas Eve, not Christmas morning as God ordained. 
And there's just a whole litany of lists like that. So, yes, the relationships get more complicated. But um, with my story, if I'm going to tell you about the end game, the first phase, the Dom phase, the second phase, the Mitchell phase, impacted the Larry phase. And so it's going to be more or less uh, a look back to the future. And so let me just sort of briefly give you my background. Uh, I was raised in L.A., both of them, Lower Arkansas and Los Angeles. I spent a few years as a kid in Los Angeles, and I'm the son of a bivocational pastor. Now, bivocational means it's, it's church code for we want you to be our pastor, but you're going to have to make your own living <clears throat> because we can't pay you much. So I saw the good, I saw the bad, and I saw the ugly. And I got to thinking, what heritage, what financial heritage did I get? Because I did not get an inheritance. I didn't get a lot of money. In fact, when my dad died, essentially it was enough to pay most of the bills. There was no trust fund. I was disappointed when I turned 18 and turned 21, didn't get a call. There was no trust fund. In fact, I really didn't get a lot of financial skills. Now, mom and dad did a, did a good job. I don't think they ever had a... Uh, written budget, but they lived paycheck to paycheck, and so I didn't inherit a lot of financial skills. And so I got to thinking, well, what is it financially did you inherit from your folks? And it finally dawned on me, the inheritance, the financial inheritance that I got was the tithe. Now, my dad didn't believe in tithing. In fact, he did a Bible study and led a group. And what they were going to do, they were going to study tithing and disprove it. Well, after that Bible study, Dad became convinced that, yeah, the tithe is scriptural. And so that's my inheritance financially is the tithe. Now, I think we need sort of a working uh, definition of what a tithe is. So let me just give you my definition of a tithe. Tithing is giving a portion of your income as a testimony of God's ownership. It is a voluntary, outward, tangible testimony that God owns both the material and the spiritual things of life. In fact, I think this was mentioned in, in the lead-in video that tithing is actually an act of worship. It's acknowledging to God that he's in control of the spiritual, the material, and all of it. And so I got to thinking about what do I want to talk about. And so what I want to talk with you about this morning is some scriptures that I believe, some scriptures that I have seen, and assure you that God is over all. And let me start out with Malachi chapter 3. In verse 10, 
And this is God speaking through the prophet Malachi to the children of Israel. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now back up in Malachi in verse 8, God says, you've cheated me. And the Israelite says, how have we cheated you? And he said, you've cheated me because you haven't given me my tithes and offerings. And then he goes on and says, if you don't believe it, try me. I'll prove it to you. And so this is how God proved it to me. When I started to college, I started at Magnolia at uh, South Arkansas University. I was majoring in engineering, so I went there two years. And I worked in the summer. I had academic scholarships. I lived at home. In fact, there was like five or six of us that uh, drove back and forth, lived at home and drove to Magnolia from a little town called Stevens about 17 miles away. And so you'd drive one day a week, and then the rest of the week you'd just be a rider. And if you were a rider, then that meant if you got out of class early, you couldn't go home unless you hitchhiked. So we'd go out to the road and hitchhike. So God sent me two years of college debt-free. And then I was going to transfer up here, and I did. But two weeks before I transferred up here, my dad died. And as I said, he did not leave an inheritance. And so I came up here pretty much on my own. But I came up here and had academic scholarships because I worked at it. And I worked physically. After high school, I worked in the oil fields for a year. And then I had an aunt, a great aunt, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I'd met her once in my life, and she wrote me and said she wanted to send me to school one year. And so she paid for one year of school. Now, during that time, I didn't have a lot of finances, but I tithed. But as I told you, I didn't have a lot of financial skills because I could remember at Central Baptist Church, they had a treasurer named Daryl Parker. And so Daryl met me between Sunday school and church one day and said, Larry, um, this tithe check bounced. And so I said, okay, well, I'll make it up. And I did. But what I want you to understand is I went through six years of college. I ended up with a master's up here, debt-free. And I attribute that to the fact that God blessed, just like out of Malachi, because from before junior high school, elementary school, when I worked, I tithed. But God honored that, and he blessed it. And then I moved from that to, you know, more or less the, the, the Mitchell phase of being married with two kids, but I still didn't have any financial skills. You know, I would bounce checks and then I'd have to pay the penalty and make it up and so forth. And the savings account was pretty much a revolving account. 
I would put money in savings and then I'd start to pay the bills for the month and find out I didn't have enough money in the bank account to pay the bills. So then I'd move money from savings account to the bank. It was a mess because I had no financial skills. Just didn't know. I had the what, if you will, that you ought to tithe, but I didn't have the how of how do you manage your finances. And about that time, I started a, a young couple's class. It was called the Home Builders Sunday School class. And there's a whole bunch of young couples in that class. And pretty much what we did was we pooled our ignorance because we had no clue about finances. And I was teaching a segment on finances. And so, you know, I had no no resources. But then I found an organization called Christian Financial Concepts, a gentleman of the name of Larry Burkett. And he had a, uh, a workbook and a course, and that was the Family Financial Workbook. And so I started to read and started to learn and started to pick up some, some ideas from that. And then this verse, Matthew 6.33 became important in my life. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Now, when God gives you everything you need, it may not be the finished product. What I found was God was giving me financial principles out of his word. Because you see, God gives you the tools and then with your life, there's some assembly required. And what I found, and I was amazed that God, in his word, says this much about finances. And then it dawned on me, it was much more than that. Because you see, when our second child was born, it was, he was born on a Sunday morning. And after I left the hospital, and you know, being assured that my wife and son were okay I went home and I walked out in the backyard and God hit me between the eyes like Larry you don't have a clue you were raised in a pastor's home but you have no clue how to be a husband you have no clue how to be a dad you have no clue how to handle your career you have no clue how to handle your finances and so it dawned on me that God's word is what we need we get these principles and we apply them in our life. And guess what? They work. And there were some things that I learned during that time. I learned about wealth. I learned that wealth is not, as the world sees it, having a bunch of stuff. In fact, in Proverbs it says that, that he gives us riches with no sorrow with it. And over in Luke, he says that your life consists not in an abundance of stuff but in peace. And so I learned what wealth was. And then I learned about minimizing debt. I learned that the, the borrower is servant to the lender. And then I learned to live on a budget. I prefer to call it a spending plan, to put that into place. And then I learned to be a steward. I learned what that meant, that God owned it all and he allows me to manage it. And then that helped me understand about the tithe. Tithe's a pretty good deal. 
if God owns it all and he lets us manage it and we get to keep 90% of it, that's a pretty good deal. I said, I don't feel badly at all giving him 10%. And then as time went on, I learned about saving for the future. In other words, put money back. And then I learned about investing. I learned uh, from another organization called Sound Mind Investing. And I put two books back there. One of them is the Family Financial Workbook, and the other one is Sound Mind Investing. And I think I've given our staff, each, each one on their staff, one of these. Good, solid, biblical principles on finances. And then along the line, I taught the kids with some success and sometimes not too much success. But I learned how to live on a budget, taught them how to do that, taught them how to save. And then in my career, there's another verse that just made a, a significant change in my life. And it's in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. My question to you is, for whom do you work? For whom do you work? It changes your perspective. I learned that I worked for the Lord and he contracted me out to whoever I was working for at the time. And I worked for Energy Corporation for 30 years, but I became aware that I worked for him and that he contracted me out. And that removed a lot of uncertainty when we went through downsizings, when we went through all kinds of changes. I knew that, Lord, I work for you. You know, I can remember late one night about 10 o'clock sitting in the vice president's office. And we'd gone through some real throws and we had a new CEO come in and he had changed everything and he had eliminated, you know, top line of management. And the VP looked across the desk and said, Fincher, what keeps you going? I said, well, it's who I work for. I work for the Lord. And he just has me subcontractor contracted out. And when you look at it that way, it makes a big difference. And what I found was that you could take these biblical principles that God gives you that worked in my personal life. Guess what? It worked in the corporate world. God allowed me to manage budgets up to $350 million a year. And guess what? Those biblical financial principles worked. And during that era, Home Builders Sunday School class became Home Builders Ministry. And I started preparing for the end game. And the end game was, what are you going to do when you leave the corporation? And so I decided what I would do is since I work for the Lord, then he would just contract me out someplace else. And so there's another set of verses I want to share with you on the end game. It's found over in Joshua 14, 10 through 12. But let me give you sort of the context of what's going on here. You understand on the context that 
Israel was led out of the prom, to the promised land by Moses and he came to the edge of the promised land and he sent out 12 spies. And those 12 spies went in and they came back and said, yeah, the land is rich, it's full, but there's walled cities there, there's giants. And so 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb. I find it interesting that no one can remember who the other 10 were. But the two spies that came back, one was Joshua and one was Caleb. And in this verse, this is a discussion that Caleb was having with Joshua. And he said, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. Now, Caleb was 85 years old, and he said, give me the hill country. Now, the hill country was inhabited by fierce warriors, but he said, give it to me, and I'll take it. So, in the end game, let me ask you this question. Is it retirement or is it realignment? What's your purpose in life? You know, my perspective is like Caleb. It's not retirement, it's realignment. And, you know, retirement is really not a biblical concept. What we do today is we tend to prepare for retirement to do what? So that we don't have to do anything. But biblically, why does God leave us on this earth? It's to serve Him. So the idea is to realign, not to retire. And what happened in the first and second phases allowed me to invest in the kingdom in the, in the third phase. And so I left Entergy on a Friday, and on a Sunday I became family pastor on staff at Roland Road Baptist Church in Monroe, Louisiana, and allowed to focus on home builders. And then God allowed be a part of an organization and develop an organization called Missionary Training Ministry to train missionaries and to go out on the field and to help churches to relate to them. And then in this phase, it allows us, Lorinda and I, to, to do missionary support work overseas. So God has allowed this. And even when we came to Pathway, before Lorinda and I got married, we sat down and had about a two or three hour discussion. At this point in her life, how can God use us? What can he use the next week I was up here, I met with Jeremy and the staff, and I said, how can, what, what do you need at Pathway? If we come here, how can we be of help? And so we compared those two lists, and they matched up. You see, God ain't through with us yet. God allows us to be a part of his kingdom from the time we accept Christ until we go home. And so 
what, what do you do? Well, finances, what do you do with your finances in this time frame? Well, I'll just give you some, some personal, you know, this, this is opinion, but uh, it's not all about me now. It's about the kingdom. You know, I'd rather leave a legacy than an inheritance. And this is just personal now. I don't plan to leave my kids a lot of money. Why? Because I taught them God's financial principles, helped them go through college, and yeah, I'm helping grandkids go through college, but I found that that's not a really good thing to do, to leave a lot of money. Have you ever, ever noticed what happens when there's an inheritance? What was a unified family all of a sudden becomes what? I want this, I want that. No, I want the clock. My intent is to invest in the kingdom. And when you do that, that's what God has in mind. So when you look at, at the end time, what, what does the end really look like? Have you ever thought about that? What does the end look like? Well, I want to share another scripture with you in Genesis 25, 7 through 8. And this is the end time. Abraham lived for 175 years and he died at a ripe old age. Having lived a long and satisfying life, he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. How do you want to end up? What does your end time look like? I think it's what we want. We want a long, satisfying life and to close our eyes in peace. Notice that Abraham had a satisfying life. He did not have an easy life. You, can, if you, you know, remember, recount the stories of Abraham. He did not live an easy life, but it was a satisfying life. So if this is how we all want to end up, how do we get there? Well, I want to take sort of everything and pull it together. And let me share the last set of scriptures with you. And this is in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. Jesus was with the disciples and there was other crowd of people. And so, listen to the verse. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. That's how you end up like Abraham. That's how you end up with a long, satisfying life and close your eyes to be with your ancestors. It comes by giving your life to the Lord. And so what I hope to do this morning was to tell you why I believe it, that I've seen it, and God's overall. Now, as 
the worship team comes up this morning, what I'd like to do is issue a challenge to you based on those last verses. Number one, if you lose your soul and gain the whole world, what's the benefit? So it starts out, number one, with accepting Christ as your Savior. If you have not, at some point in your life, realized that you're a sinner, realized that you cannot live up to God's perfect standard, realized that you need to ask God for forgiveness and accept what Christ has done for your life, how he's died for you and paid for your sins, and accept that, that's where it all starts, folks. And so my challenge to you is if you're not saved, accept Christ as your Savior. Number two, whether you're in the Dom phase, the Mitchell phase, or the Larry phase, commit that I want to order my finances based on biblical principles. It's a lot to learn. It's a lot to take in. But I can guarantee you, I believe it. I've seen it. God's overall. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, examine your resource allocation to determine the desires of your heart. If you are not satisfied with these desires, then commit to making the changes necessary to realign your resources. Two, make a commitment in whatever phase you are to follow biblical principles with your finances. And three, fast forward to your latter years. Do your current financial plans allow you to leave a legacy or just an inheritance? Start now to make the necessary adjustments. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.